0: The power of boy bands and teenage girls, creating an award-winning musical without knowing how to play an instrument, and the gendered lines of judgment with Fangirls creator Eve Blake. We're Jasmine and
1: Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club. This is our monthly interview with a person we find interesting, and that we think you will too.
0: We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work and record this podcast.
1: We would like to pay our respects to Elders, past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be,
0: Aboriginal land. Were you a fangirl? Do you remember people mocking your love for boy bands while your dad and brothers were called passionate for being diehard AFL fans? That was us too, and that's why we're so excited to be fangirling over Eve Blake. Eve is an Australian playwright, composer, screenwriter, and former fangirl cynic.
1: Creator of the joyful Fangirls the musical, Eve set out to honour the passionate fandom followers of the world. With a hit musical and TED Talk on reevaluating our often misogynistic reaction to the power of fangirls, Eve is breaking down gender stereotypes, creating a new norm for diverse casting, and having fun while she's at it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Eve. Very excited to have you on.
2: Thanks so much for having
1: me. Last week, I think it was like nearly exactly a week ago, Maggie and I went and saw Fangirls for the first time and it was so amazing. Thank you so much for creating it. We just had the best time and we've honestly been like raving about it to anyone who will listen (laughs) ever since.
2: (laughs) <laughs> thank you so much for coming I just um I really appreciate it
1: and for those who don't know can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do
2: well my name's Eve um I've written a musical called Fangirl, so I wrote the scenes and the music and the lyrics and um gosh I guess what do I do for a living I write musicals and now I write a lot of film and tv as well Um, so yeah, my career is a combination of like sitting in cafes and making up words for strangers to say and making up songs, um, while mumbling to myself
0: and yeah, that's what I get paid to do. Fun. You get to play, you get, you get paid to play, make believe and make music. I'm sure it's not as like easy and easygoing. Like I just said it, but it's (laughs) awesome for us as listeners and consumers of that.
2: (laughs) It's like a spectacular, it's a spectacular job in that, um, yeah, I just get to make stuff up for a living. But, yes, that is me. That is what I do.
0: And could you please describe Fangirls to someone who's perhaps never heard about it before?
2: Yes, I never get sick of talking about it um, because it's just, it's a lot of fun. So Fangirls is this musical I have written. Inspired by five years ago, I had this life-changing moment where I met this 13-year-old girl who was like, really into Harry Styles to the point where she was like convinced that she was going to marry him one day. And when I laughed at her, she said, don't laugh at me. I love him so much. I'd slit someone's throat to be with him. So I thought, oh my God, this is wild. I have to research this. And full disclosure, I had never been a fangirl. So Mm. I definitely looked at her and thought, this is wacky. This is crazy. I have to write about this. But then I had my whole perspective flipped upside down when um, Zayn Malik left the band One Direction and there was like all these news stories coming out about how his fans were responding to the news. He's, he's very upset fans. And I noticed that the words they used to describe these young people were words like hysterical and crazy and over the top and a bit much. And I asked myself, would they be using any of these words if they were covering the story of some sports fans who are really upset about something? You know, I feel like if it was sports fans who were upset, um, like a bunch of men at a football match, we would use words like passionate and loyal and devoted. And, and I, I sort of realized, wow, okay, the way that we talk about young women being enthusiastic about things is totally different than the way we talk about when young men love things. And I realized I wanted to write a show about how we mock young women for being enthusiastic. Um So yeah, so I realized I wanted to write a show about fangirls and that I I wanted my protagonist to be a 14-year-old girl. And then I thought, well, if if that's going to happen, then the whole show has to feel like everything I would have wanted a piece of theatre to feel like when I was 14. So when you come into the theatre, the energy is that of a pop concert, right? The stage is made of glitter. There are giant LED screens like a Beyonce concert. But it's also um, a story about devotion and first love. And so it's got these beautiful moments where the cast sound like a girls choir it's like you're the church of harry Mm -hmm. um and uh, the cast are amazing. They're worth the ticket price alone. The story is of a 14-year-old girl called Edna who's in love with Harry. The only problem is he's the star of the world's biggest boy band and doesn't know she exists. And the story of the show is Edna stopping at nothing to meet Harry and not just because he's famous but because she believes that he's secretly so depressed and overworked and that she alone can save him from his miserable boy band life. So, yeah, that's Fangirls in a Nutshell.
1: I love what you said about it feeling like a concert. That was my first like live theater experience post COVID, and it just felt even more powerful and bittersweet being in a room full of fans. And you know, you get the or the cast gets the audience going, and there's the songs that actually feel like you're watching a boy band. So, what was it like working in the performing arts? during the COVID lockdowns and now how are you and the cast feeling about being
2: back? So interesting you mentioned that because, yeah, it's no secret that there's this part of the show that's like a boy band concert and it's so much fun. And like, obviously we, we have first done the show in 2019 and this tour is like a return of the original production, but it's bigger and better with new people. And like the first time around the boy band concert was fun, but after a year of lockdown, it's so emotional, right? To be in a theater Mm -hmm. of people screaming, it feels like a gig. And I think especially in Melbourne, it's like, no one's been to a concert for a year. So that's been really fun. I guess that's my answer to part two. How is it now not being in lockdown? The best, especially (laughs) with this show. How was it? I mean, honestly, for me, I felt really privileged to be a writer because so much of my work is already solitary. So much of my work is already sitting in my pajamas in my house. Um, uh, I was supposed to be going to London for a couple of commissions, but I ended up just doing them remotely. So I feel like I got an extremely, extremely lucky go of it one thing that i was trying to do during lockdown is is produce the cast album which just dropped last friday i'm so proud of it but you know recording the vocals for that album took us eight months because we were trying to figure out border closures and like how do you record artists in melbourne for a while we thought we might have to do some remote recording eventually we figured out we could fly them in this specific weekend of the borders being open and um but i mean overall i've been profoundly lucky
0: I love that you speak so highly of your cast because they are absolutely incredible. Honestly, it was so refreshing. I think, um, seeing such diverse cast in terms of gender and race. I think there's a big, um, problem perhaps or people, um, comment on how white the Australian exactly. theatre company, companies and industry are. So I'm just wondering, could you talk to us about the process of you choosing the cast members and why you chose to do it like this
2: completely I mean I want to start by agreeing with you it's infuriating right I always feel so infuriated by how theater is supposed to be this place where you gather in the dark with a bunch of strangers to see a story um that's supposed to open your heart and give you a sense of like a life you haven't lived and or like to expand your view of what life can be that that's for me that's what I think it is I think it's an empathy gym I think it's so fucking tragic that if you look at it particularly the Australian musical theatre industry it just has this like embarrassing history of exclusion and racism and um, I was very my, my director and I we were very particular that in casting this musical you know when we did the license with the original producers Belvoir we asked not only for approval of the cast but control of the casting process so we implemented a process where Anyone in Australia who fit certain criteria—you so had to have a playing age you had to be able to play the age of the characters. Um, you could be any gender, um, and you you could apply if you felt that you would be able to act, sing, and dance. You know. Um, and anyone could send us a two minute video and we gave them two, t- three tasks in that video. There was one verse you could learn from one song, uh, one fr- like a verse from another song. And then you could sing a verse from a song of your own and you could shoot it on your iPhone, nothing flashy. Right. And you just had to email it to this address with your name and number by a certain date. Um, and we saw more than 400 people for what originally was seven roles on stage. I was playing one of them. So it was really six roles. Um, but I, I, I'm so, so grateful that we did that. We got to, it took us months and it was very rigorous, but it meant that we got to see people who don't have agents and we got to see people who otherwise would never have come to the attention of, like, someone who's the head of casting at a theatre company. And I think, like, I'm so proud of our cast. I love them to bits, but I think there's so much work to be done because systemically, like... Belvoir are a company that do 12 plays a year. So I'm not pointing at Belvoir. I'm just any theater company that does 12 plays a year and has a one casting person who maybe doesn't even, doesn't even work five days a week. If they've got a brief, they're just going to call agents and they're going to say, send to me your people. Mm. And the agents will send the people who've already worked. And the people who've already worked because of the system, like if you're not going to get a super diverse crop. And then that's where producers go, oh, we just didn't have enough applicants who weren't white. And it's like, well, you it's your job to be rigorous anyway i could be on this soapbox all day the point is i love the cast um i deserve no congratulating at all the industry just needs to like get its act together definitely
1: after we watched fangirls we felt so validated i just wanted to hug my 15 year old self Mm -hmm. the one direction fan i know maggie was a big one direction stan as
0: well like hardcore stalk them at the hotel you have vibe. good taste yep thank you
2: <laughs>
1: like hardcore <laughs> well,
2: Wait, tell us that story why are you brushing past that i oh, need that story
0: oh. well this is a thing like this should not be allowed i got twitter when i was like 11 years old like <laughs> tiny child tiny child me on twitter with a very inappropriate username that referenced wanking and a Wonder Revision member. It was called, I think what it's was pretty it? smart. I don't even know why I know this word, but it was called Fat <laughs> Louie, right? So it's like fabulous, but Fat Louis. I can't <laughs> believe I had this for multiple years. Um And I was obsessed and I had such a community of online friends, which yes, could be dangerous, but like, thankfully I had a great experience. One of the friends I made, you know, about eight years later, she moved coincidentally just a few streets away. And that was during lockdown. So we would go for walks. And that was because of One Direction. I love it. That reminds me of the scene in Fangirls where they're
1: at the protest and like all the little, like they come together, even though they've never met in person. Very sweet. Yeah.
2: So for, for any listeners who don't know the story, what we'll say is there's a moment in the second act where there is a Uh, something global that concerns the fans some some, like very concerning news and so they hold vigils to to be Mm. together and support each other through the time and there's a scene in the show that happens at the vigil where a bunch of fans who maybe have never met before are all taking care of each other and sharing gluten-free pizza um it's a very cute wholesome and then like really kind of radical moment in the show by which i mean they kind of like it becomes very politically charged but yeah stream the album and listen to the song justice and you'll have context
1: yeah, I was actually listening to the album yesterday Thank when I was you. working.
2: I was like, get into
1: it. So we were, we, we felt really validated and really proud to be women and to have these typically very feminine traits like being emotional or passionate. You kind of touched on it before, but can you tell us about why you chose to champion these feelings and emotions?
2: Sure. Well, I should say as well, like the show's called Fangirls, but um, it's not just about fans and it's not just about girls it is about um, exactly what you've touched on, which is like why is it that we socially sanction completely different sets of behaviour for young women and young men and why is it that we deem what is socially acceptable, um, what we deem to be socially acceptable is based on what we believe it's appropriate for men to do. So no matter what your gender is, you um, you know, if you squeal and scream uh, over a pop star because we as we associate that with the behavior of young girls, we dismiss it. Um, but I think that you know, being unafraid to love something without apology isn't something we should frown at. I think that's really powerful. It's really courageous. It's why I was sort of first um, so intrigued at speaking to that thirteen-year-old girl. Is like there was a part of me that's like, wow, it's wacky that. She just said the phrase, I would slit someone's throat to be with Harry Styles. But there was a different part of me going, I can't imagine having the courage to care about something Mm -hmm. and express it that openly. You know, I think as adults, we define, um, we tend to define ourselves by what we don't like, what we're cooler than. We define maturity as being um, better than things and being against things and, and, um, And yeah, I just think the more that I interact with fangirls and I've interviewed so many across the process and I use the word fangirls broadly, not all of them identify as women, but, um, but the more that I speak to them, the more that I feel inspired, like that's how, that's how I aspire to live my life is just Mm. running towards things and loving things out loud.
0: So that beautiful. Is so beautiful honestly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah jinx um I actually want to learn more about that process of your research of talking to fangirls and other people um can you tell us about that sure it was so much fun so uh the research
2: process involved oh my god I read hours of fan fiction I tr- tr- uh, scrolled and scrolled and scrolled through Twitter in fact there's a whole song in the show that is almost entirely lifted from tweets that I read it's called don't exist um and, like, every line in that song is inspired by a tweet. Um, I spent a lot of time on Tumblr, RIP Tumblr, mm-hmm. um, and and I also met with lots of fans face-to-face. I interviewed a lot of fans. There's one fan that, that um, has really stayed with me, um, and they were in their mid-20s, and they had cha- legally changed part of their name to be, like, um, their last name to match one of the members of One Direction and they showed up wearing head-to-toe an outfit that was inspired by the member of One Direction and I remember at the time, it was early in the process, I met with them and I was I was like, oh, wow, this is really committed. And I I kind of took a step back, like, wow, I, I cannot imagine. I, ca- I cannot imagine being a fan to this level. But then, you know, within a couple of hours, we were both crying, recounting stories for each of us when, you know, a hard moment had happened in our life and the right album had come in at the right moment and been a handrail for each of us in a tough time. And I, I quickly realised, you know, um, as as... Uh, unrelatable, as it might sound, that someone would change their name in, t- in tribute of a celebrity. Actually, like the root of that is just about really responding to an artwork and feeling that it really speaks to you. Uh, and and I guess my mission with this show was always to like, it'd be too easy to write a show that only vindicated fangirls. So it also makes fun of them as well. But it's like this healthy mix where it gets you to laugh at fangirls only to make you cry with them and, 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 and get you to see that behaviour that we deem to be quote-unquote hysterical or over the top comes from a really beautiful source and shouldn't be mocked.
0: Yeah. That's what I was so happy to see. I think that line of mocking and laughing with or at someone can be so thin sometimes but watching that the whole time I was like there was never a part where anyone I don't think felt ridiculed or mm. you know we didn't put shame on them. It was a beautiful thing that we were watching Um, and especially as someone who was slash is a fangirl that was really nice to see because growing up all we're told is that we're silly or this is ridiculous what we're doing so to have that kind of championed and seen as a positive good thing was so rare honestly and it sounds so Mm. weird because it's a global global community of people who identify as fangirls um you know there's of course so many new boy bands and like especially k-pop bands who have fierce Mm. armies of fans so it's not going anywhere
2: No, totally. And something else I should say is I always feel like in interviews, I I talk very um, sanctimoniously about the goals of the work. And sometimes I wonder if the listeners realize like that it's also like it's a ridiculous comedy like it's so (laughs) silly right like it's it's a very silly show and I should also say often people are like don't you think there's like some problems with how young women are mass marketed to and like sold a thousand pencil cases for one boy band I'm like oh yeah yeah there's layers of problems in there and we address that in the show like you know the ability to afford merch or not afford merch is a a whole like conversation layer that goes through the show of like Mm -hmm. uh, and and like I guess I'm just sharing is to say if you're listening to this and you're like wow this show sounds really sanctimonious um I hope that like if you listen to the cast album you'll see that it's really it's very silly
1: <laughs> mm. yeah and I said to Maggie in I think the um interval that I didn't feel patronized at all and as a woman I'm so used and like I'm a typically quite feminine woman and I like girly things and I'm so used to feeling patronized for that and it was so validating to feel like yeah scene I guess
2: um
1: but I also like that you touched on the themes of being a teenager and like the friendship and class privilege even Mm. with that as well like the fact that you're like what teenager can afford 139.99 for a ticket (laughs) and like your friend I remember Maggie looked over me at one point and I had tears streaming down my face because (laughs) I remember that feeling of your friends being able to afford something and you not being able to and your parents just being like I'm so sorry but we just can't do it Mm. or whatever so There's so many other themes, obviously, going throughout this show that I don't really have a question. I'm just saying thank you. (laughs) I
2: appreciate you saying that, but that's a huge theme in it, right? Our protagonist, Edna, she's 14. She's blisteringly smart. She's a full scholarship to a private girls' school. But a huge tension in the work is like it's like the start of Year 9 for her and her two friends have just decided, one of them, Jules, has gone into a panic that everyone else in the year is getting boyfriends. She doesn't want to be the last one in the year and they have Mm. to get a boyfriend. So she's rethinking her identity. And Brianna, her other friend, is sort of – Uh, in this process of unbecoming herself she's getting a little bit more quiet she doesn't want to cause trouble she's starting to get anxious about what she's supposed to look like versus what everyone else in the year looks like and basically they're they're losing themselves and Edna doubles down on her fandom of Harry but a huge tension she has is unlike Brianna and Jules she doesn't have the money to spend that they have um she's on a full scholarship and when the band announced tickets in their hometown Edna is basically reliant on her mom cannot afford a ticket she's reliant on them to get her a ticket um and then you know a little bit of blackmail unfolds because she does she's she mm-hmm. has no other option and she loves Harry and she believes this is her way to save him and um, like it's it, it's it's silly right but it, but I wanted to find a way to talk about what it feels like when you're a teenage girl and I feel like um gosh this is a bit of a tangent right but I feel like being a teenage girl was being told constantly to like try to assimilate to a cultural norm like you need those pants mm. you need those shoes you need to have that hair you need to you need to be on trend and I feel like young girls are press gained into being little consumers in order to, f- to exist. You know, it's just this like fact of being a teenage girl is that you need to be shopping all the time. You need to buy more things. I don't know that we put men through the same pressure to consume. And I really mm. wanted to talk about that in the show, always needing to have the new thing in order to be adequate. But yeah.
0: Yeah. It, totally brought back so many memories of what it felt what it felt like to be a young teenager that I had completely forgotten um I think it's easy to brush over the hard parts of growing up and those pressures and that almost yeah that self-loathing um it's quite hard to think about the way you treated your younger self I think and seeing this on stage was like oh god like people still go through this and it was almost like a wake-up call of sorts. I also saw that in your opening night, in your writer's note, you wrote that Fangirls is for your 14-year-old self too. What do you think your younger self would say about what you've created and think of where you are right now?
2: Oh, wow. That's a huge question, right? Yeah, that is. That's beautiful. Um, I mean, honestly, when I was 14 – um, so the age of the protagonist had just been kicked out of year nine music collective because I wasn't any good at, I couldn't play an instrument. I still can't. I, I, I wrote, uh, fangirls on my laptop. I just YouTubed like how to produce music and made it up. So I think 14 year old me would like, sh- her mind would be blown. She probably wouldn't understand that you can actually write a musical, not in an American accent.
0: Mm-hmm. She,
2: um, she, 14 year old me probably hasn't even realized that all of her favorite musicals are written by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she hasn't been able to articulate why she loves the women in musicals, but they're not quite right. They're almost right, but they're not exactly true. Yeah. Oh, that sounds so shady. It's not that there aren't good women in musicals. There are. I just think there is a different, as you say, there is a different level of truth that- that um comes to a character if you've been if you've if you've lived it right if you've lived it and the teenage girls in this show they are so savage about themselves and others they but that's my that is how I remember it I completely Mm. remember just being merciless in terms of how I talked um to myself uh so I feel like I, I mean I I think this is what 14-year-old me, everything she would have wanted in a theatre experience. You know, at times it's like adrenaline-filled, it's almost scary sometimes. Um, at other times it's really funny and joyful, but it's like constantly, I, I don't know, I wanted to also make a show that no one wanted to check their phone in. Like it's just constantly <laughs> grabs your attention. So, yeah, I hope, I hope she would have loved it.
1: Yeah, it felt really like modern, yeah, so different to any theatre experience I've had before. We were watching your TED Talk recently as well and something that really jumped out at me was the line where you say that biologically the reason you hear these screams from fangirls is because, like, we haven't lost that ability to express emotion with our voices, that men and boys are told to not cry, not scream, not show their emotions from the age of four or something crazy. How much do you think toxic masculinity plays a part in how we see fangirls
2: right well i should say to your point so it's rather than it being uh biological it's about a learned and and Mm. socially conditioned behavior Mm. so so in my ted talk i i make the point about meeting this speech therapist who pointed out to me no sorry vocal coach who pointed out to me something i didn't know which is that um she had found this study that observed that 13 was a very interesting age for young girls because this study found that's the age that 12 to 13 is the age that young women tend to begin to perform their voices. And she explained that to me as, for example, them um, introducing vocal fry to perform apathy or a bit of breath to perform maturity. And she asked me when I believed that, that boys began to do that, and I thought, oh well, men mature later, so surely the answer is like eighteen. And she's like, no, four, because that's the age that boys internalize the message that boys don't cry and boys don't scream, and they start st- they start stopping themselves from making those noises because they believe that that's not what boys should do and so that conversation blew my mind because it made me realize that the fangirls squeal the fangirls scream is a superpower because it's something they haven't learned not to do it's something they can still accomplish um so to your point about toxic masculinity i mean i think like to to repeat my point but it but it bears repeating um why is it that we only what we deem to be appropriate is based on what we deem it to be socially acceptable for men to do there's actually a line in the show why should I hide my feelings because it annoys you oh because it isn't what the boys do um Mm. and that's that's a huge point of discussion in the show I don't know if that answers your
0: question
1: no I definitely yeah I just wanted to like get it get get a bit deeper on that because that was one of the highlights for the TED talk for me personally and of course um we will link the TED talk in the show notes and share snippet on our Instagram as well
0: yes thank you yeah and I just want to talk more about that TED talk process which is pretty cool that you did that I think but what I loved is that you wore this really cool glittery like sequin dress and you had like shiny heels was this a purposeful choice what made you do this
2: (laughs) yeah yeah oh my gosh (laughs) this is wild right because I did TEDx Sydney which is a really big one I think the crowd was like somewhere between five and six thousand people madness and the process as well is really rigorous like I've never been so prepared they had me do it the whole thing I think five weeks, five separate times in their offices, wow. come in, do the whole thing, right? I've never been so prepared. And I was struck by how formal the whole thing was. And I thought, you know what? It would be such a shame if I responded to this and sort of like, quote unquote, like put on a suit to go to work, you mm. know, like did this whole thing in a crispy mm. suit. So I was like, nah, I, what is some, what is an outfit? They 14 year old me saw it in a YouTube thumbnail, she'd go, oh, what's that? So I was yeah. like, you know, what? I'm going to go all out into like a sparkly iridescent dress and I yeah I I stand by that decision my dad saw it the night before and he was like you cannot wear that it's like why and he's like it's gonna look insane on the cameras you know they say don't wear patterns on camera yeah it's just gonna look psycho and I was like I'm sorry but the fact that like an old white male boomer just told me this dressing psycho means exactly what I'm wearing, and said that out loud. That's what you're talking it. about. And like, sorry, but I have no regrets. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, love you, Dad. You also say in the TED Talk that you are a former fangirl cynic. What would you say to any other fangirl cynics out there who may still have some of this internalized misogyny around female fans?
2: I'd say you don't know what you don't know. It's so simple to feel like um to look at fangirls and to to poke holes And, and people frequently will be like don't you think it's wrong the way they're marketed to don't you think it's um undignified the way that women are um you know are taught to behave in these ways and I'm like yeah but like think again your your definition of dignity is based on what you think it's okay for boys to do and yes I completely acknowledge there are huge there are like problematic capitalist layers in terms of how many big companies talk to young women but that's not something I shy away from in the show and I think you need to separate that from simply how we look at young people expressing enthusiasm towards things that we deem being for girls. You know, it's always tricky Mm. because I I don't want to, I used to say, and in my TED talk, I believe that I talk about young female enthusiasm and I would 100% revise that, right? We don't need to talk about like, it's it's about enthusiasm from young people towards things Mm. that we think of as girly. Mm.
1: I saw, I think it was yesterday or the day before, Miley Cyrus. I think it was a video from maybe like seven, eight years ago, just as she was finishing her Hannah Montana thing and talking about how she was growing up into becoming more of a sex symbol. And she was like, why why is it only that the girls get considered like bad role models and sex symbols? Like I'm not going to see a Zac Efron movie because he's a fantastic actor. I'm going to see him because he's hot. And I just love that. Like um,
0: she just put it so bluntly.
1: And, like, why do we – even with Billie Eilish at the moment, like, why are we – you know, women have this very, like, hypersexualized thing going on in the media and we don't compare them the same way to men.
2: Totally. Yeah, totally. I just completely agree with you. Something that's really fun in the show, and I want to keep this so spoiler-free, but, like, Harry, the pop star, is a character in the show – And on Twitter, I just love how many people um, are referring to him as their favourite himbo, and he is. I've written him a little bit like uh, I've seen so many women written in in shows and movies where they're just like they're there to be pretty and dumb (laughs) and eye candy. And I have no qualms about flipping the script on that one because you're right, it's a total double standard.
0: What were you going to say, Maggie? Was it the same thing? No, I just thought we were still on the same wavelength. <laughs> um, but it was about this Harry Styles interview that he did with um, Rolling Stone a little while ago, a few years ago, and he's talking about his teenage fans, about how he, he genders it, but about specifically how teenage girls, they don't try to act too cool for something. When they love you, they will tell you. They will show that. Um, and who's to say that? we can't like teenage girls can't be tastemakers why are we pointing towards that like hipster guy in like new york for what's cool or what's not cool so i like that we're having these conversations i don't know if it was as prevalent um back in the day but it's just like, like what you want, you know? That's, that's kind of exactly. what, I, what
2: I'm getting, yeah. I absolutely stand that, that quote from Harry Styles. I get sent it all the time. I, yeah, also I really can explain imagine. The Harry in our show is not Harry Styles. He just happens to mm. also be named Harry. And he's a, he's a pop star that's like an amalgam of so many different ideas. Mm. Um, but, yeah, stand Harry Styles for Clear Skin
1: yeah i was getting um early justin bieber vibes from him Ah, as well
2: well i like it people come out and like he's this guy he's this guy and i'm like whatever you want (laughs) he's
1: whatever you want him to be (laughs) so sadly when this episode goes live you will finish your run in melbourne but what's
2: next that's true but people can stream the album on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, you name it. Um, and we've worked really hard to make sure that the album gives you as much of the story as possible. But if not, the plot is on Wikipedia. So you can do what 14-year-old me did and is listen to a cast album while Wikipediaing the plot. Yeah, the, the cast album's on, on Spotify. I guess if you go on our Instagram, you can see a million highlights, which give you glimpses of the show. You can kind of piece it together. And there's there's trailers on YouTube. But then beyond that, I mean – look, right now we're talking to some really exciting international producers. Who knows what will happen, especially mm. in the middle of this Pandora. Like, um, who knows when any Aussie is going to be able to get on a plane and, for example, go to London to work on a show there. But I'm so humbled and honoured that there are so many international producers talking to us. And I guess if you're listening to this, cross your fingers that one day um, we'll be back in Australia and, and that maybe sometime next year we might, we might head overseas.
1: Oh. so you're just doing this one run in Melbourne you can't you know this is part any... of a
2: national tour so we, oh, this national... is the, the last stop on a tour of Australia oh, that we've been on since January wow yeah oh amazing
0: that is so exciting
2: oh and look out for our beautiful cast and everything forever they're angels yeah follow yeah love them. all the content
1: <laughs> on the Instagram
2: Oh, thank you so
1: much. Like the reels, the behind the scenes, backstage look at the reels and you can see them like practicing the dances and stuff. Very interactive. I love it.
0: Yeah, I need a nice. tutorial for the dances. Um, I'm trying to learn. Oh, it's so embarrassing. I don't know why I'm actually admitting it. me it. <laughs> I'm trying to embarrass- <laughs> like learn some of, like, you know, the, the rap in Justice because it's incredible writing. Um, oh. We'll not do it, but it's <laughs> just me, like, scrubbing scrubbing, like um the bar in the song to, like, three minutes where it, like, ah. pops off. The lyrics are on Genius. Yeah, no. Go I've, for I've it. I've got the lyrics in front of me so I can't do it. <laughs> um, But it's such a fun experience experience same with the choreography I definitely want to learn the dances I'm actually watching it again this week like I booked tickets again because it's so <gasps> what good night are you coming? Thursday I'll
2: be there yes.
0: see us. I'm so excited I'm so excited um but also I do have another question um we've got some creative listeners and I'm wondering do you have any Perfect. advice for people perhaps wanting to start their own musical make music do all this stuff right for tv whatever
2: I do I think the key, two two key pieces of of advice I would give is number one, no one goes into the creative industries to get rich. You know, Mm -hmm. you go into it because you love it. And at the end of the day, all you can guarantee, you can't actually guarantee audiences or money or good reviews, but you can guarantee that you're going to make some really good friends. So just be really good to people. Be kind. Don't be greedy. Don't screw anyone over. If if you have a project and you assemble people, take care of them, check in with them, make sure that they feel safe and they have everything they need, be really respectful. Um, You cannot control how people respond to your work, but you can control how you treat other people. So that's really important. And that extends to your peers. If one of your friends does well, celebrate them. Don't be jealous. Don't gatekeep, girl boss, none Mm. of that. Um, So that's number one. And number two if you want to make something um, and you feel like you can't, really ask yourself about the can't. Like, if it's if it's because you can't afford to, is there some scrappy way to... to- Make a small scale version of it. An example, like if you do a workshop for a musical a week long with like all the staff and stuff, it can cost upward of $30,000. I don't have that. But I did have a bunch of friends who could come and sit around my dinner table and read my script out loud for me in exchange for pasta. Mm. And I did that a lot on this show. I would just get my friends to come over to my house and I go, can you just read these scenes out loud so I can hear them and I'll feed you all with pasta and wine? And they were legends. They're like, yeah, sure. Like there's always a t- $2.50 version of, to get started on something. Um, so I'd encourage that and like, you know, I still can't play a musical instrument, but I went on YouTube and literally typed in like how to make a pop song and went from there. Um, so if you think you can't do something, then like, what's the, what is the cheapest way to get started? And could you do that?
1: Yeah. Just scrap in and do it.
2: Scrap it, babes.
1: Yeah. That's what we're trying to do here as well. (laughs) Hell yeah. If people are interested in finding more about out about you, do you have anywhere we'd like Um, Oh, yeah.
2: I'm just on all the internet, the social medias. So I'm Eve Blake, but it starts with the Y, So it's Y-V-E, Blake. And I'm on all the places. I reckon uh, for June and July, to be honest, I'm probably going to yeet off social media because I need a nap. I mean, (laughs) I say that, then cash me (laughs) on the middle hours. But um, please hold me accountable. If you see me on social media in June and July, tell me to go to bed. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like,
2: we love your work, but please leave. Go to sleep.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thank
0: you
2: both. This has been a lot of
0: fun. Mm, Thank you. So inspiring. Thank you, friends. Thanks. And I'll see you on Thursday, Legend. So excited. No, honestly, that was so inspiring. And... You filled us with so much joy. So, like honestly, thank you for that gift. I don't know. I know we keep saying thank you like bloody thirty times this episode, oh, no, that's but really kind. just know that it your work has yeah. such an impact. So I'll stop being a fangirl right now and let you. <laughs> let <laughs> you anyway, <laughs> I'll, carry on. I'll see you on Thursday. I usually chill at the mm-hmm. bench
2: opposite the merch stand. So come say awesome. hi. Awesome. I'll really say nice hi. Nice to meet you both.